Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Jamie Hayden. She is the owner and founder of Archipelago Swim Company. How are you doing today, Jamie? I'm doing great. Thank you, Brad. So lovely to have you here today. I'm looking forward to chatting and hearing a bit more about your story and your journey. So thank you for taking the time to be here and share today. Yeah, and thank you for having me. I think what you're doing is really cool with this thank you. business. Yeah. So, Jamie, as I mentioned, you're the owner and founder of Archipelago Swim Company. You're also a teacher. How long have you been teaching? I've been teaching for about, um, well, it's been over 10 years. I got my teaching degree in 2009, but I did start teaching uh, before that as well, actually. Okay. So what subject and grades do you teach or grade? Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a high school teacher. Okay. So every year I can teach different grades from grade nine through 12. Okay. And uh, I'm with the Toronto district school board and it's a really big board. So they do bump people around a lot, depending on the demands of the different schools. Right. So my subjects are English art and French. And um, so, yeah, I I end up, I've been in a new school every year, pretty much. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So how did your journey into making swimwear begin then? Yeah, um, I was teaching ESL in Korea, and I had just gotten my teaching degree uh, in Toronto. And uh, I took off to go overseas because there weren't a lot of teaching jobs. And I've always wanted to travel. And I've always loved sewing and art and design. Um, I actually did consider getting a fashion degree, but I didn't want to lose my I didn't want to lose my ability to be an English teacher, because that was actually my first passion. When I was in high school, I wanted to be a high school English teacher. Okay. but I also loved art and design and my grandmother taught me how to sew. And uh, so while I was teaching in Korea, I bought myself a sewing machine and um, my friends, I was making all kinds of things. And a lot of people uh, there were looking for swimwear to go on vacations, uh, you know, and in the winter, and it was, it was actually hard for um, expats to find a properly fitting swimsuit, um, any swimsuits at all in the winter. And then, you know, sizing is always an issue Westerners were a bit bigger and anyways so yeah I I I started making swimsuits and I was like oh I really like swimsuits (laughs) (laughs) so how old were you when your grandmother taught you to sew oh I was 18 when I got my first sewing machine it was what I asked for for my 18th birthday my mom (laughs) and sister bought it for me and then I was living in Ottawa at the time, but I moved to, uh, I switched my degree to U of T Okay. and I started visiting my, my uncle and my grandmother who lived at my uncle's house. And she taught me all the basics of when you open a pattern. And I was just like, I was, I was chomping at the bit to get on the sewing machine. And it was like, Oh, we have to do all these measurements and there's all this paper involved. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> yeah. this isn't what I expected. <laughs> Yeah, like when did we get to the machine? And yeah, no, it was. There's a lot behind the sewing that's before the machine. <laughs> right, right. So you and you had asked for a sewing machine before you even knew how to sew. Oh yeah, for sure. Wow. Sure. Okay. Now, how long have you been creating swimwear? Yeah, um, the very first swimsuits I made were pretty. <laughs> <laughs> You need, the learning curve is steep for yeah. for for stretch fabrics. Um, okay. I think, like a lot of people, I thought that it would be more forgiving because it's stretchy, right? right. No zippers, no buttons, and so there is a certain degree in which that's true. Um, but uh, you you have to learn a lot, nonetheless. Um, so yeah, it was. I, I started sewing when I was eighteen, and then I played around with it, and then 
I made uh, one of the first bathing suits I made was for my my baby niece who was still um, uh, to be born while I was in Korea. My sister told me she was pregnant. And so I made her a teeny tiny swimsuit. And um, and yeah, that was one of the first that I ever made. Okay. Now, when you're creating a new piece or a new line, where do you pull your inspiration from? So a lot of times, I know earlier in my design process, it, it often came from being fascinated by a technique, like okay. ruching, like the gathering and seeing all the little tight little gathers and, and, or seeing, uh, you know, princess seam lines um, or seeing, you know, a drawstring being inserted in a cool way. Um, so I would get really inspired by like technical aspects of sewing and tailoring. And I would want to translate that into like a bikini or a one piece. And now that I'm a little bit more um, advanced as a seamstress, I am a lot more interested in creating interesting surfaces. Um, I want to get more into prints. I love silhouettes. I love the way shadows um, blend shapes together and create new interesting focal points and so when you look at like my bright and bold collection, it's all these silhouettes. And uh, then I trans- I did the same thing in the solid uh, eco black collection and then the latest Monstera. And I keep doing kind of iterations of it because I am far from bored from it yet. I have many more. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of, a lot of natural shapes and forms. And, um, and then every time I learn new techniques, uh, embroidery is really, really interesting to me. And um I've, I've toyed around with beading in the past and I want to get, I really want to get back into uh, incorporating beadwork. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's a lot technique based and, um, and shapes. <laughs> also, also drawing a lot from your love for art as well. 100%. Yeah. So what, do you have any plans to do any other type of fashion? I mean, why swimwear as opposed to any other type of fashion? I definitely ask myself that question a lot, being that we live in Canada. <laughs> right. Uh, like I often wish I was a sweater designer because now <laughs> wear sweaters all year round. Um, but I guess I just love the beach. Um, I love uh, being in a swimsuit. I love being in stretch wear and like a, those types of clothes are really, really engaging and fascinating to me. Um, draped cover-ups, draped skirts, draped palazzo mm-hmm. pants, um, and then fitted bodysuits, um, halter tops, tank tops, crop tops. I just, I love all of it so much. Um, it's kind of just like a passion. <laughs> I can't, it's not super logical. It's just a passion. <laughs> it just is what it is. That's right. Now, I know that ethical production of your swimwear is of incredible importance to you. Why is this of such high importance to you personally? When I first started sewing, um, I... I I just was really obsessed with, I noticed how long it took for me to make something Mm. and being a, you know, I'm, I'm born in the eighties. And so, you know, we, there was a big push against sweatshops in the eighties, nineties. And um, so I kind of grew up thinking sweatshops were done. Like they didn't, you know, like we just sort of got this really big push on the media and then, then what Nike just fixed everything. Right. Like, um, so I guess I kind of grew up thinking that that there wasn't an ethical issue, not not actively thinking that, just in my subconscious thinking that this was something that was done. It was right. solved. It was a problem solved. Um, only to begin investigating more into how our clothes are currently created and really realizing that there is a incredible power imbalance in globally mm-hmm. and everybody living in a Western nation benefits and everyone living in a underdeveloped nation is at our mercy. And um, it's really, really upsetting because a lot of people are saying, well, where do I get ethical clothing then? And that, that's a whole other question, but that's where the passion sort of came from when I just started educating myself about, well, where are our clothes produced and what are the conditions like? And right. And then more of this started really coming to light when Ranadaka Plaza, that was a couple of years back now, but it, it sort of, it woke the West up a little bit. And then yeah. 
seamstresses sewing help cries for help into the garments that Zara was producing. Um, so it's not over by a long shot. Um, I've been educated by documentaries like River Blue or The True Cost. And I see how um, the environment is a big role here um, as well. And that even if we can drive down the cost through methods of mass, mass production, um, even if their economy, like a foreigner economy is weaker than ours, and therefore we can um, pay them at a lower rate than you'd pay, say, a Canadian seamstress. Right. Um, parts of the reasons feeding into why it's cheaper to produce there might be because their government doesn't protect their waterways or their, their air, you know, air their space. environment. Exactly. So there's pollution that they are forced to live in because they are sewing our garments and tanning our leathers um, and dyeing our clothes. So we're, we're sheltered from the reality of, of what it costs to make these clothing. I mean, hence the title of the documentary, the true cost is from the cost. So um, it's, it's, it's overwhelming. So I'll be honest, I try not to make that, what I think about constantly because it, it is overwhelming, but it's just sort of the mission. It's just the mission to contribute to a more equitable planet mm. okay. as much as I can. Okay. Now was it, was the, 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 the commitment to environmental sustainability and um, ethical production of your product, was this something you knew you were going to do from the outset of archipelago? Um, no, not okay. really. Not at the very, very beginning stages. I suppose I was just a uh, 20-something-year-old who was fired up about making clothes. Right. And uh, yeah, so no, I was just in love with the art of fashion, which I think is what most most fashion designers fall in love with, you know, whatever it is. I mean, there's a lot of different pulls. For me, it was like just I love working with my hands. Yeah. Yeah. So what... And how did this all come about then? How did you become more aware and, and decide to change the direction of your company then? Yeah, it wasn't necessarily too big of a change because right. I was still so small. I am still so small yeah. that it wasn't like I had to, you know, shift the infrastructure of my my existing business model. Mm-hmm. It, it just became uh, more and more evident that as I move forward in hiring practices, in sourcing practices, this is what I have to do. So, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, you're currently working with a company called Vita by Carvico, an Italian fabric. Can you tell us a bit about this fabric and why you chose to work with them specifically? Yeah. Um, when I was learning about all the environmental problems behind um, our, our garment industry and uh, waste production, I was thinking, wow, it's really hopeless. I design swimwear and swimwear is essentially plastic. And how am I ever going to do anything that like you can't turn plastic into clothing. <laughs> and I found out, oh, yes, you can. And in fact, companies have been doing it for, you know, at least 25 years. Wow, that long? Oh, yeah. It's existed. It just hasn't been, um, the people who care about it would have to be paying more to, uh, you'd have to be charging your customers so much more that nobody, and no, there's no demand for it. So now people are really starting to care about working with a recycled fabric or a fabric that is either recycled or recyclable, Uh you know, and the more and more there's a push towards these things, the more the demand grows. And then the the existence will keep, uh, you know, technology will only advance if people are asking for it. So yeah, no, it's been around. I started researching. I thought, well, maybe I can make my bikinis out of cotton and they'll, they'll, last one season because the stretch will be gone and that'll be fine because cotton will biodegrade faster than than polyester right or spandex and um i then i basically just kept searching and i found on the internet um i found uh carvico in italy has a a line called vita and uh it's made out of uh 78 recycled uh fab content Uh the 12 percent um is the spandex and it's still a virgin material. Um, and then there's actually um, even car, like it gets really, really technical because there's the companies that actually take the plastic and turn that into a yarn. Okay. The big one there is Econil. That's the famous one. It's, it's used in a lot of, it's used broadly. Okay. 
Yeah. So I just was really excited because I was like, wow, there is a way to make environmentally friendly swimwear. And, uh, and so I jumped on it and I'm still searching. I, there's still a lot of uh, things that I'm doing. Like I'm ordering new prints from a company called um, Pinecrest and they wholesale a brand called Reprieve. And it is also making their fabrics from recycled plastic bottles. So wow. There, and there's more, there's more I could go on. I won't. <laughs> so if, the, if this has been going on for 20 plus years, why is it still so under the radar? Why is this not out there more? And why is it not talked about more? I think it um, has your opinion. Yeah. It's marketing. It's about the bottom line. It's about money. Um, Of course. Right. So virgin materials are still cheaper and the process it's, it's still cheaper for a company to take a chemical based production of well it's all chemical based um it's still cheaper for them to start from scratch and make a make um a nylon from scratch than it is to make um to gather up and clean plastic bottles chop them down into bits turn them into little pet chips and then melt those down and spin that into a yarn and then weave that into a fabric it's still cheaper for them to do that from scratch than it is for them to do that from plastic bottles. Because it's so labor intensive. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot and more time together. consuming. And I mean, think about it, like of all the plastic bottles, not every plastic bottle is going to be a usable piece. Right. So if I have a guaranteed way of creating a yarn versus I have to first go and talk to recycling agencies and gather up their plastics and then sort their plastics and then chop them and clean them and chop them and melt them. Um, yeah. It's, it's just going to always be a little bit more of a labor intensive process, which is why the consumer needs to be educated because the consumer needs to, to value um, that something is a couple dollars more. Right. And therefore we have a cleaner, healthier planet. So if the consumer becomes more consciously aware of all this and starts asking for this type of thing, then that of course demand produces the the that to happen it will happen it will start to happen it will start to shift once the demand is there i guess exactly or that's what it is in theory in my yeah Yeah. do you do you foresee in your opinion do you foresee this knowledge growing more among the public and among the consumer do you see this starting to shift things uh i do um being that I am making swimwear, I follow like every swimwear brand that I find right. on Instagram, et cetera. And so I become really aware of all the different companies that are popping up, making clothing out of recycled fabric and more high profile players like H&M have that, that whole eco branch of their, their facility, which has mixed reviews okay. um, it, because they've, they, there's a lot of, uh, are you familiar with the term greenwashing going on? No. Um, so greenwashing is like companies will find one little thing that they can say about their company is eco-friendly and then uh, yes, that. yes, yes. And all of a sudden their company's green. Yeah. And Apple does that, I believe. Tesla does it. There's a bunch of them that do it. And so like <laughs> to play devil's advocate, it's like a lot of things that we're doing are are green. Yeah. But sometimes it's a matter of doing them on such a massive scale that becomes unbearable to the environment, or it's like not such a big deal. But when you do it on such a massive scale, it becomes hard on the environment. So I think uh, it's hard to say who's greenwashing and who's not. There's yeah. more, and more agencies who are trying to give their create certification processes. Okay. Um, there is, well, Oikotex is a really big name in in certifying fabrics for being produced to a high ethical and environmental standard. Mm -hmm. Um, And they'll be, the consumer won't know about Oikotex, but the designers will. Right. Um, So there's more going in behind the scenes and there's more of a push to try to bring this stuff to the forefront. Mm -hmm. Another name that comes to my mind is circular ID is trying to create a way to ID your garment so that you can actually trace your, the life cycle of your garment. And when oh, wow. it, it sounds labor intensive, I don't know where they're at in the process of developing this concept, but there's definitely a bigger push to, to see where our garments are going, coming from and going to like mm-hmm. post, 
post landfill or you know salvation army or whatever there's a bigger push to get that need for consumer awareness because if the consumer isn't aware then the people who are just making money from it they will not change their habits if they don't see profit in it yeah yeah now, since you've been creating swimwear, since you've been in business for yourself with this, have you have you personally seen a shift or a growth in companies, clothing companies specifically, I guess, um, shifting their model towards using more recyclable product in their to create their product? Well, I think so. I mean. I think so, because that is why we see the big companies starting to do the greenwashing. Um, And again, like some are really trying and it takes baby steps. It's hard to condemn a business that's taking baby steps in the right direction. Yeah. Um, And then it's hard to know when is someone just using the flashy terms. That's right. The very fact that greenwashing exists shows that people are looking for greener products. So I think that I think that yes, companies are doing it. It's just to the very extent it's hard to know. But mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Now you also have plans for your next collection and the type of fabric you're going to use. Can you talk a bit about that? Well, I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> Please um, do. So that's Pinecrest. They're um, they're in the states, and uh, they will print anything I send them onto um, recycled fabric that is produced by a company called Reprieve. And they also work with recycled plastic bottles. I'm really excited about it because Pinecrest is also a pretty small, um, it's like a family run business. Um, They're, I mean, they're big for, they're not, they're not small like me, but they're, but they're (laughs) also, uh, they're also a family run business and um, they're also really knowledgeable about eco-friendliness and uh, I'm really excited because I'm trying out a really neat print. I'm really excited to start releasing images of what I'm doing this spring summer. And it, it'll be my first time really working with a print and an eco-friendly print. So it'll be all mine. I'll, I'll have all the ownership to it. Yeah. And it won't be some, some print that I got from, you know, I, I can genuinely say no one else is wearing it. That's exciting. It is. Yeah. Amazing. And, uh, Good for you. Mm-hmm. Was it a fairly lengthy process for you um, sourcing out companies to work with when it came to sourcing the fabrics you wanted to use for your swimwear? Yeah. And I'd say it isn't done. <laughs> <laughs> it's an ongoing thing. 100%. I'm always uh, like, you know, I get targeted ads that are showing me different stores where I can buy fabrics and there's a lot of fabrics I'd love to work with, but I'm like, well, you're not eco anything. So I'm going to pass. Like I love them, but I just have to pass because, um, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather be a part of the solution. Um, you know, I can't, it's, it's not like working with eco fabrics will solve everything, but working with fabrics that are neither, uh, recycled nor recyclable will certainly not help. Um, I'm still keeping my eyes open because, as as companies develop new technologies, I want to be there. I want to be the one scooping them up and trying and on the out. forefront. Yeah, yeah. Now, is this something that you're seeing more of in the swimwear world? Not necessarily just the fashion world, but are you seeing this in the swimwear world through your experience? Well, I mostly see all. I mostly pay attention to all of the recycled. Um, plastics that are being turned into stretch fabrics uh, right. so it's in yoga pants and and okay. sports bras anything stretchy it's it's happening even in wetsuits there's a different way they can make a, a neoprene that's made out of recycled fabrics as well but no there's a lot of um really controversial vegetarian leathers or okay. vegan leathers really controversial because they essentially just take plastic and use that as a binder. I might be using some incorrect terminology here, but like there's some brands doing cactus leather, there's mushroom leathers, there's, um, what else is there? There's, well, there's a pineapple leather, which I think is pretty good. Um, but what tends to happen is they, they try to be biodegradable, but what can end up happening, I want consumers just to be really aware of this. What can end up happening is, when a when a plant-based product is taken and mixed with a plastic product 
you end up with something that is neither recyclable because it's not 100% plastic, nor is it biodegradable because it's not 100% organic. So now you've created an infrastructure problem where there is nothing that our waste management facilities can do with that product. So if we had a garment that was 100% cotton, it will biodegrade. There could be be some issues around the farming and the, the, creation of the fabric there could still be issues there but at least it would be environmentally friendly right right when we start blending these fabrics which a lot of handbag companies are doing a lot of um anybody working with leather is basically looking for these and because they're trying to be uh cruelty free right one of the catch-22s that i think humanity is facing so i'm not going to pretend to have the answers here but one of the catch-22s is you know, if we work with the truly sustainable practices, you know, that might involve hunting or using animal parts. So then that's going to upset people who are opposed to animals yes. using animal parts. But those are traditional materials, right? Like those are traditional materials. Yeah. I think it comes back to what I was saying a moment ago, that there's not really so much that we humans are doing that is in and of itself so negative, except that we do it on mass. Like yeah. we don't just make fur coats. We make them by the millions and yeah. we try to make them affordable so that everybody can have a fur coat yeah. and get 10 fur coats and have one for every season or maybe fur coats is a bit of a stretch for because i don't own a fur coat but leather, <laughs> you know like different leather jackets a million pairs of shoes yeah a million, a million bikinis people don't just want one nice bathing suit they want 10 per season yeah so it's not so much that what we're doing is so harmful. It's that we do it in crazy capacities. To the nth degree. We always do. That's, that's human nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've got to do everything grandiose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can you talk to us a bit about the process of creating these beautiful pieces of swimmer that you create? Yeah. Um, well, I really love the, the hand embroidery process. I love every part of really engaging myself and throwing myself into a custom creation. Um, I am trying to work towards uh, scaling my production because my suits are so expensive. So I am working towards like hiring other seamstresses so that I can expand and bring down those costs. But when I am making someone a, like a custom handmade piece where I am, cutting out those flowers by hand stitching them down by hand wow I just I love the process um and then the reaction like when when somebody tells me like they just put it on and they love it um they've never had anything so unique they say those things and that to me is like that keeps me really excited to keep working small scale and knowing that I get it not everybody can can, can buy one of my swimsuits and I totally respect the choice that they, that for their budget reasons, they go for the cheap end because I don't buy myself hundred dollar garments. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I understand that it's a luxury and that the people who are getting it, they, they also have that level of respect that goes into it. But yeah, one of my best friends just said to me the other day, I'm sorry, I haven't yet supported your business, but I really want to buy a suit this year. And I mean, I know that, they're not just like financially, you just throw your money at it. Like I understand. And I told her that I said, I don't expect my friends to just buy my, like, I don't think you're a bad friend (laughs) about herself. And I was like, no way. Like it's so, um, yeah. So it's the process is really important to me because I love knowing that what I made isn't something that people can just get anywhere else. And if it was, I would stop making it. Yeah. I mean, that it sounds like an incredibly labor-intensive process. And it, it is just you doing this right now, correct? Right now it is, yes. So how many pieces do you normally have then in a collection? You've mentioned two or three collections that you've got. How many pieces are in a collection and how long does it take you to put together a collection? Well, roughly? yeah. So I guess what ends up happening throughout the course of a year is I get a lot of orders that are totally unique. Um, 
I had a person order from my Bright and Bold, the first ever bandeau top that I did with the hand embroidery. I've done bandeau tops before, but I've never done one with the hand embroidery. I honestly didn't think it would work out so well. <laughs> and I told her as much. I said, I gave her the pros and cons and I was like, I'll do it. Um, I'm happy to try it out. But I, you know, I've never done this design like that. She was game. And she sent me pictures, um, which I don't yet have permission to publish. So <laughs> yeah. hopefully they're coming soon. Okay. But she sent me pictures and she told me that she, she absolutely loves it. It's the best bathing suit she's ever owned. And I've never, and I, that, that suit isn't listed anywhere. So things like that happen all the time. And then I decide what will make it into the next collection, because now I've got this pattern that I've made, mm -hmm. I need to figure out the sizing for it and maybe offer it in the future. Right. But so yeah, making a collection um, isn't necessarily a straightforward process where okay. I sit down at the beginning of the season and decide what makes the cut. It's right. sort of like, even the collection making process is quite custom. Amazing. Now, where can people get your bathing suits? Where can they purchase them? Uh, yeah. So my swim where my website is archipelagoswim.com. So that's A-R-C-H-I-P-E-L-A-G-O swim.com. Okay. And that's the same thing as my Instagram handle. So if someone needed something custom, they should DM me on Instagram. Perfect. Yeah. So what are your long-term goals for the brand and business, Jamie? Well, I would love to be working with designers all around the world. Um, Archipelago is a chain of islands. So an archipelago is like uh, the Maldives or the Philippines. Or, okay. And I would love it if my brand was an archipelago. So there were little archipelago shops in different countries around the world where I had other artists like myself who are contributing to the overall vibe of the collection. But if someone were to buy one of their pieces, it's not like it's going to be mass produced anywhere. So different designers linking up and, and, um, and sharing their vision, but uh, ultimately that what they create is their little island and what I create is my little island and there's unity in um in the in say the the mass-produced collections but when someone gets an archipelago from say this designer um they would get what they, he or she makes and so right. forth. really lofty goal I don't know how oh, I'm gonna I love it. that I love that vision it's good to shoot for for big goals I that's amazing yeah good for you to date, what would you say is your biggest high or your greatest win? I, I, I actually recently won a, a contest this winter to have a small collection made um, by a brand out of, uh, by a brand called Runway Kit. Okay. And they operate out of Sri Lanka. And I've done a lot of looking at researching into, you know, their ethics and their production, um, how they clean up after themselves, et cetera. And um Short of getting on a plane and going there, everything looks really, really great. I would count that as one of my, one of a really big high for me because I did not think I would win. <laughs> I was really overwhelmed with what was going on with teaching online and getting ready to go to a new school because I got switched again halfway mm -hmm. through this year. And I told myself to give up on the contest and walk away and just keep doing what you're doing. But I was really, really amazed that I, I got selected for it. And um, so that there's still a lot more coming out of that. The The prize has yet to be delivered, but it's it's in production. Um, but I do intend to keep working in Canada. And probably one of the, probably the very biggest high that I could cite would be getting accepted into the Ryerson Fashion Zone. I applied last February. Uh, that's correct. Yeah, last last January and I got in last February and it was an interview process where I went with my trunk full of swimwear and my little pamphlets and a presentation on a USB key. And I sat before um, people who just, <laughs> I just felt are still are so out of my league. <laughs> like I can't even believe, you know, that I got such a meeting that I was accepted to have that interview. And then I just thought, I told myself, even if I don't get accepted, I am not going to give up. Like, even if they don't uh, get me in the program, I'm just, I'm still going to do this. Like, I yeah. told myself that, like, 
don't give up just because someone else like says they don't want to work with you. Yeah. Um, I still seek my motivations from that, the, the small highs of making something beautiful for a customer. Um, the, the little gratitude, little moments of gratitude where people tell you that they feel so good in something that they, that you made them. And I, and I committed myself to caring more about that than mm-hmm. about large scale. Um, I don't know what's the word. Um, uh, when someone makes you feel valued, what's that word? Um, I know, I know what you're saying. I can't remember the word for it, but okay. Uh, but when I got accepted into Ryerson, I was really, really proud of myself because I knew that that's a world-class program that they're running. And I recommend any entrepreneur, any student, any entrepreneur, if you're trying for, if you've got an idea and you need support, look at the various programs for incubation that Ryerson is offering, not just fashion, but they are the most amazing people and they've been so supportive and they give you supports in every way, shape and form. They will find you a mentor to talk to. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's probably the best thing that's ever happened to my business. Well, congratulations on both fronts, the Ryerson and the contest. Good for you. you. That's something to be very proud of for sure. We need to celebrate those, those successes and those wins. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? Uh, I have incredible patience. <laughs> <laughs> I think right. when I tell people about, you know, teaching or um, just how long it takes me to sew one of these bathing suits. Yeah, I can only <laughs> imagine. <laughs> um, you would have to have patience. Yeah. They're like, why? (laughs) Look at it. It's so pretty. Um, So I am incredibly, incredibly patient. Like I love to work really intimately, cut, cutting things very, very detailed and then down and paying attention to every single stitch. And um, so I really, I really, really have amazing patience. And I know I can say that without second guessing myself. (laughs) Speaking of success, how do you define the word success? What does that word mean to you? Um, Well, it was, it was my brother-in-law. I said to him, well, what are you going to be when you grow up? And we were joking because we're both adults. Mm -hmm. And, um, and by all means, anyone should count uh, him and my sister as very successful people, but his answer was just happy. And, and uh, a lot of people might like me and my sister included kind of go, come on, that's not what we mean. Yeah. (laughs) I roll. Right. But first of all, the fact that I know he unequivocally means it, there's no, there's no hint of pretension in it. And um, he, uh, both he and my sister, the way they're raising my nieces is just to seek um, happiness, to, to, to seek success by any other measure is really um, you're always going to end up looking to what someone else is defining it by. But if you're, if you're really truly seeking like happiness for yourself and those around you, um, then what could really be more successful than that? Because we all know that like accolades and, and money don't bring happiness. No. What's the point in accolades and money? (laughs) Yeah, you're right. You're right. So it's like a, it's like a cyclical thing. Like, yeah, a lot of people equate success with, with monetary, but I mean, you could have all the money in the world and be miserable. What good is it? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely linked because I would say that, that poverty brings misery more often than money. So um, there's no doubt that there's a link, but, um, but yeah, if we pursue genuine happiness and making other people around us happy, that's key to that too. So for sure. What would you say is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received? <laughs> My mom saying, fake it till you make it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, uh, she told me that about myself when lots of, she's actually mentioned that she says she's got a lot of great ones. I actually keep a little diary and I, I even write them down from time to time, but I think it was, somewhere in my twenties where I kind of realized like, um, 
you know, I know I can do certain things, but it doesn't mean I can do them right now. Right. And her advising me, like everyone feels that way. Like everyone feels that way, but a lot of people don't show it. And so you're not faking it to be deceitful, but you fake it. You fake your confidence um, because you have the confidence that you will get there. And, and I really believe in that. What makes you feel inspired or like your best self? Conversations with my, my best friends and my sister. Okay. Yeah. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after learning it? Hmm. Most important thing I ever learned. Um, that's a really, really hard question. <laughs> <laughs> I I do recall when I was in high school playing on just high school sports and one of my coaches telling us that all physical shortcomings, hard work can overcome all physical shortcomings. And it's, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that that is the very most important lesson I've ever learned. I'm just trying really hard to give you a meaningful answer. But uh, I remember that this is a, this is a lesson that was repeated and, um, and it really stuck with me. So, um, I, cause I was playing on a male football team because my high school didn't have a female football team. Right. So I was playing, playing high school football with, with the boys and I wasn't particularly competitive cause mm. you know, I was smaller and slower and everything, but, but no one, no one held me back because of it. And I had a very inspiring coach who really promoted that, you know, and didn't treat me special in a good way. Yeah. Um, and I just remember that particular lesson. I'm not sure how much that applies necessarily to, I don't think it necessarily applies to archipelago swim. It's just a really beautiful lesson that, sure. that if you work hard, you can overcome your, what, whatever you might be blaming, you know, like for holding you back. Yeah. Your self-limiting not, beliefs. Yeah. 100%. It's not that those problems aren't there. It's not like they're in your mind. They're, they're real. Yeah, but, but you, it's still your job to overcome them. So you have no option, but to work hard. So yeah, I thought that was a really, really life. For sure. Lesson. Who would you say have been the three most influential people in your life? Uh, my sister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. My, my very, very inspiring sister. Uh-huh. Um, uh, definitely the first person. Um, I would say that my high school coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they're listening, but David Yoshida and Scott Gerba, right, two okay. of my high school coaches, okay. very, very influential. And, um, and there's, there's a lot more I could really go on. <laughs> um, I'm going to stop there though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What is one of your favorite quotes, Jamie? Uh, that's really easy. Um, I love Maya Angelou's quote. Oh no, now I'm going to botch it, but (laughs) (laughs) no pressure, no pressure. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to resist the urge to Google it. Um, Everyone's going to know it right away. Anyhow, it's um, when she said, um, do your best until you know better and then do better. I absolutely love that quote because it's very similar to the whole fake it till you make it mentality that nobody's perfect. Yep. And nobody asked, well, okay, lots of people ask for perfection, but <laughs> um, the truth is, is that you're not going to get to perfection overnight and you might never get to perfection. That's anyway. right. And so I just love that quote because, you know, we can only do our best. And then once upon a, like somewhere in the future, you, you might learn how to do better or you might have the funds to do better or whatever your obstacle might suddenly be removed and if you can do better, then do that. But, um, you know, find happiness where you are. Um, fake it till you make it. <laughs> <laughs> do your best until you know better and then do That's better. It. Okay, we're going to do a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions will be like a couple word, two, three, four word answers. Okay. Okay. How would you describe yourself in one word? Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, passionate. If you were writing your autobiography, what would the title be? (laughs) I think Girl on Fire is already taken. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, we can go with that if that's what you want. Sure. It's your, it's your autobiography. <laughs> True. <laughs> Early bird or night owl? Early bird. 100% to my boyfriend's frustration. <laughs> What's the first thing you think when I say the word future? Hmm. Uncertainty. If you came with a warning label, what would yours say? High energy. <laughs> <laughs> if you could teach the world one thing, what would that be? Um, edit your grammar. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the English French teacher coming out. Yes. Um, it would actually be that uh, it, it actually comes from one of my art lessons. And it would have to do with that there is no there is no good or bad. There's um, there's effective or ineffective. Like so when you when you make art and when you look at art, when you when you look at yourself in the mirror, there's there's no good or bad. There's only like effective or ineffective ability to communicate uh, the point that you're trying to make, um, which I'm probably not doing really well right now. I'm <laughs> rapid fire. But, you're doing fine. But um, when when artists, especially young artists, are are trying to say, well, I don't know if this is good. And I'm like, well, what is it that you're trying to communicate? What is it that you're trying to actually share with the world? So um, again, it comes to not using other people's measuring stick, but figuring out what it is you're trying to actually do and then being effective at doing it. Okay. If you had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room, what song would that be? <laughs> Okay, that would change on different days. But right now, I think it's that song, Unbelievable. Okay. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Hmm. Talent. More talent. If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change? Well, I would like uh, everybody to be more friendly and open-minded with one another entrepreneur life is lonely okay that concludes oh no sorry one more aside from necessities what's one thing you could not go without my sewing machines <laughs> <laughs> of course <laughs> that brings our rapid fire section to a close jamie what's the most recent investment you've made in yourself where I actually spent money on myself? No, well, not necessarily. It could be time. It could be whatever. It's just something you've done just for you, an investment for you. I am trying to, like, I play a lot of, I normally play a lot of soccer and that has gone away with the pandemic. And yeah. so I'm trying to um, take more time to actually go jogging. Um, okay. Yeah, I find it really time consuming. And I tell myself, well, it's only half an hour. If you go for a half hour jog every day, um, I notice though that it, it does actually affect a lot of things. Um, and it, it is more time consuming because then you have to pay attention to when you eat. So you don't get a cramp and so you don't run out of energy and um, you know, you, then you're sweaty. So you have to build in more showers in your cycle. <laughs> you know, like I, um, it sounds kind of small, I think, but like, I think it's been really important getting back into a physical routine. Okay. Yeah. What is your personal motto? probably there's not enough hours in the day. I'm not sure if that counts as a motto. Sure. What are you most proud of? Just the fact that I, I have a business, I think. Okay. That's something to be proud of for sure. Yeah. If you could sit down and have a one hour conversation with anyone in the world, alive or dead, who would it be and why? Oh, okay. There's like, well, I guess I am really, really, really like, I love, I love Bernie Sanders. I love AOC. <laughs> uh, oh, um, uh, I don't know. I'm probably going to screw up saying her name, but she's a Nigerian writer. Um, her name is Chimamanda Ngozi Indiche, Adiche. Okay. I'm probably not saying her name right, but she uh, is really, really inspiring. And I'll, I'll teach some of her TED Talks and her essays with my students. And awesome. um yeah, she she wrote uh, very, really famous. It's, it's she delivers it as a speech and as well as it's an essay that I teach. Um, the dangers of a single story. She's just one of the most amazing people. Huh? Um, yeah, that's a lot of people. 
I also <laughs> love to talk with Trevor Noah. <laughs> <laughs> a long list of people. Yeah. If you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I didn't ask you? Oh, that's a good question. A very insightful question. I thought this interview was really, really thorough. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. That's that's what I aim for. So I'm glad that it uh, it it worked out that way. That's good. Mm-hmm. Jamie, if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Oh, my mom gave me the advice, <laughs> and I didn't <laughs> listen to it. My mom was telling me, "You're playing too many sports, and I really think that long term you're going to be an artist, and I think you should focus on artistry." And she was absolutely correct because she could see the writing on the wall that I wasn't yeah. going to be an athlete. I still consider myself an athlete, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I wasn't yeah. Gonna, yeah. It wasn't going to be a lifelong, it wasn't going to be a profession. Right. And she knew that I was really passionate about being a maker. And, um, and I wish I had listened more to that advice and really focused on chasing like sewing and, and becoming a better seamstress younger you know rather than yeah. treating it just like a hobby like I wish I had been more actively in pursuit of um of being a fashion designer at a younger age well you're doing it now so that's the main thing you're you're still putting your skills and drive into it so that's that's what matters mm-hmm. yeah I think so too Lastly, Jamie, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, what do you think that last 30 seconds would sound like? Um, treat each other nicely. Um, look for ways to, to love your neighbor. Um, look for ways to make the world better. Um, it's, it's total, I'm totally stealing from Gandhi here, but be the change that you want to see. Stop waiting for others to, to fix it for you. Um, be nice to each other you know that would be my my lesson okay jamie thank you so much for taking the time to be here today and share a bit about your story and your journey i appreciate you taking the time and i appreciate you being part of the empowerography community it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you and learning about what you're doing and and the industry the fashion industry and the clothing industry and swimwear and I really appreciate you taking the time to share and educate me. It's been a very educational, inspirational chat. Yeah, I can't believe you do these all the time with so many amazing people. I mean, it's 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 incredible. You must feel inspired all the time. I, yeah, it is. Every single one of the interviews I pull inspiration from, it is so incredibly overwhelmingly inspirational. It's just amazing that I get to do this and sit and chat and hear the stories and struggles and the journeys it's just so incredibly inspirational thank you so much once again my name is brad walsh host of your empowerography podcast my guest today has been jamie hayden she is the owner and founder of archipelago swim company thanks again so much jamie i hope you have an amazing rest of the day you too brad Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.